0: I'm glad you're here today. Thank you, folks, for being here. We have a lot of people that are under the weather. A few people traveling, um, so please keep. If you if you don't see someone here, pray for them. Okay, either traveling or sick or whatever. <laughs> let's uh, let's open our Bibles now to First Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. Every once in a while, I will make reference to, I'll call them a cultural reference because it's part of American culture maybe or something uh, that I grew up with. And uh, I want to kind of clarify that when I do that, I'm not necessarily putting my stamp of approval on whatever it is. Like Paul, Paul would quote the Greek philosophers, but he wasn't saying, hey, the Greek philosophers are great. You got to read them. It was just so much a part of the the culture. For example, the one that I come to mind is some of you remember it. Some of you, this really dates me and shows you how old I am. Some of you may remember Gilda Radner on Saturday Night Live, something I watched growing up. She had a character and I forgot what the character's name. She was a, she played this character that was a No, it wasn't that one. That's her most popular. But it was another one where she played a news reporter that got wind of some... uh, Lily, I think it might have been. Lily? Anyway. Got wind of some news report and she heard it wrong. And so she did this opinion and she goes off all, you know, really passionate about it. And then whoever's next to her, you know, at the end of the thing goes, uh, and then corrects her about her misunderstanding. And then she looks at the camera and she goes, Oh, never mind. And I want to tell you, again, you know, I'm not condoning or saying you've got to watch Saturday Night Live. This is like way back. But I that has come in my mind many times, as you know, when God has shown me that I've been wrong. You know, and, and hopefully you've had that time. I know there's some people that they've, they've, they've never seen themselves as wrong at all. So they can't relate to that. But it's a very humbling thing when you start spouting off and then you're, oh. Never mind. Can you relate to that idea? Okay, well, there's another one I'm going to mention today, and I'm not approving. In fact, I didn't even see this movie, but the quote has, has gone down in history. Uh, in fact, I thought it was a Clint Eastwood quote, you know. Um, maybe I'm thinking of, you know, go ahead and make my day. I think that was Clint Eastwood, um, but this, this is a quote that I have thought of often. Because you know, as you minister the word, and here's the quote: "You can't handle the truth." Have you heard? Have you not heard of that? Now, some of you know exactly what movie it is, and I googled it so I get my facts straight. It it was not Clint Eastwood. In fact, it was a reference from Jack Nicholson in a movie called A Few Good Men. I never saw it. Some of you may have that, Uh, and it's a now famous line which he shouted at Tom Cruise's character. In one of the film's final scenes. And apparently it was ad-libbed. That amazes me. You know. Um, Maury Amsterdam. Um, Robin Williams. Apparently would ad-lib a lot. You know. And to be able to say something. That has gone down. And that has become a, a cultural reference. You know. You can't handle the truth. I've thought of that so much. Because there are people that cannot handle the truth. And maybe even us Sometimes. You can't handle the truth. So we're going to look. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians 3. This is just the initial reference. We'll come back to this reference just briefly. I know Charlie's going to be dealing with and is dealing with 1 Corinthians 3. So we're just going to look at this. But this is the reference in my mind where Paul is telling a group of believers you can't handle the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Here's the key. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. You can't handle it. Neither yet now are ye able. They couldn't handle the truth. And so Paul had to... He wanted to give them meat, the real meat of doctrine, but he had to water it down. He had to give them the milk of the word, simplified. He couldn't deal with real deep stuff because they were not in a place where they could handle it. We're going to get three examples in the scriptures of people that cannot handle the truth. And initially I had three different things that were not alliterated, but... As a pastor, I could not sleep last night unless I got these all the same letters. So, and I, please don't shout out, you're really stretching it with that one because I probably am. Uh, But here's what my, uh, here's what my outline was last night, okay? Three reasons why people can't handle the truth. Number one is hardness. Number two is carnality. And number three is tradition or misinterpreting, you know, not properly interpreting the scriptures, but here's the three I's. Okay? Impotence, which is hardness, hardness of heart. Impediments to our growth. And then improperness in applying the scriptures. Good or bad? Eh, you know, but they're all eyes, okay? So we can remember them. All right, let's first go. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 7. This is the first category of people that cannot handle the truth. And it's not the group that... Paul was talking to in Corinth, these were people that responded because uh, they heard the truth and they could not handle it, and it's impotence. Impotence comes from, the, it's a Latin word actually, From um, it's the root word is to be ashamed, and the idea of the word impotence means to be shameless. Listen to Webster's definition of impotence, it is shamelessness. Assurance accompanied with a disregard of the opinions of others. Again, it's, it is assurance accompanied with a disregard of the opinions of others. And then listen to the example that Noah Webster gave. Those clear truths that either their own evidence forces us to admit or common experience makes it impotence to deny. In other words, it's really a stubbornness to consider anything else. It's hard-heartedness. Now look, here we have in the scriptures the preaching of Stephen. I want you to look. Now, he has quite a long message if you look at Acts chapter 7. um, And, you know, he's giving a history of Israel and and he's challenging them and their uh, hard-heartedness. And he says this in verse 54. Or the, this is the result now. So he's preached. I'll mention briefly in a minute. that The tenor of his message was heart. But look at the response, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. It was convicting. But notice what they did. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Wow, that's pretty severe, isn't it? Talk about not handling the truth. They got so angry that they began to 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 gnaw on him with their teeth. The worst we ever had when we used to have the uh, ministry at Haverford um, Hospital is uh, Jim, was it you or me or both of us that had pennies thrown at us? Do you remember that? Yeah, what? We had pennies thrown at us. Uh, I yeah, well, it's not. Okay. It hurt my feelings, so I remembered, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's like the worst that could happen is somebody throws, you know, coins at you. And, and why is it just pennies? Why can't you at least throw quarters, you know? But, you know, here they got so mad at what Stephen said, they literally went up and gnashed. In fact, look, look continuously here, verse 55. But, I love that. It's, it's, it's telling us, okay, they did not receive the message. They were cut to the heart. They were so angry, they gnashed on him. But remember what God told Jeremiah as a preacher? He said, be not afraid of their faces. And so Stephen, it says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God And look at verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They literally stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. These people could not handle the truth. Remember one of my kids, maybe a couple of my kids when they were younger, if they didn't like what we were saying, they'd cover their ears and they'd go, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. You know, that's what they were doing. That's what these people were doing. They did not, they put their hands up to their ears. They could not handle what Stephen was saying. Sadly, look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul, who would become the apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. That's Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Remember, that was a new phrase from Lazarus. When Lazarus died, Jesus said he's only sleeping. And ever since then, for believers in Christ, when we die, we're just sleeping. What a blessed truth. But he died. Now talk about cannot handle the truth. They literally could not handle the, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, they couldn't handle Jesus, the truth. They rejected him. By the way, folks, there will be people that cannot handle that truth. You know, not that we should hinder, we we must preach it. But there will be people that cannot handle it. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23. He said, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So two different perspectives, both categories of people that cannot handle the truth. What did what did Peter say, or what did Stephen say that got them so upset? Well, listen to the tenor of his message in verse fifty-one of Acts seven. He says this. He he didn't he didn't cook, you know sugarcoat it. He said, ye stiff-necked and, uncir- and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Wow, he didn't mince words, did he? He said, you are hard-hearted, you resist the Holy Ghost. Now, Peter obviously did not read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, did he? He didn't, you know, but he didn't, it, 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 I obviously it wasn't written then but he wouldn't have followed it because he was obligated to preach as God called him to. You know, even, I, I want you to, in fact, take your Bibles if you would. Turn to First Samuel chapter 25. First Samuel chapter 25. There is an example. I've I made, made reference to this man recently or within the last couple months. He's an Old Testament Man whose l- name literally means foolish or fool. First Samuel chapter twenty-five, beginning in verse two. First Samuel twenty-five. Verse two. There was a man in Ma- Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had three thousand sheep, and he had a thousand goats. And he was shearing his sheep in, in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. That literally means fool. And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish. That's an old English word. Uh, he was, he was a, an old curmudgeon is I think the word I used before. He was a cynical... Negative, just a mean, nasty-spirited man. In fact, years ago I looked up up the word cynical in the dictionary uh, because I realized I was starting to get cynical and I needed to learn about cynicism, you know. Uh, And the definition cynical comes from the word for canine. And the picture in the dictionary is a snarling dog. I mean, just looking at that, I'm like, oh no, I'm becoming a snarling dog, <laughs> you know. And maybe some of you are too, so be careful. But in that definition is the first time I read the word churlish. Like, What is churlish? Not curlish, churlish. And it is just this idea of being cynical, mean-spirited, and that was Nabal. Now, without going into the details, some of you hopefully are aware of this story, but David was on the run... Uh, from Saul and he had this uh, small army as they were fleeing from Saul and they came upon Nabal's property now you really kind of un- have to understand some of the biblical culture in this time that it was very common uh, because people would travel and they didn't have buses and stuff like that that uh, when people walk through your territory, if like for example a small army of people, um, you a- as the homeowner would ex- usually it was a cultural thing to extend them. You know, as long as they were kind and nice, you extended them welcome so they could stay while they moved through your territory, and and it was even a cultural thing that you would help meet some of their needs. And so David and his Small army are encamped on Nabal's property. Nabal has all these flocks and all these herdsmen watching the flocks. And what actually happened is, while they were there, David's army acted as a security guard force. Uh, apparently, if somebody came to try to steal one of Nabal's flocks, uh, you know they, they, they were very kind to the shepherds, the workers, and they were very protective. So eventually they ran out of supplies and they approached Nabal. And because he is churlish and cynical, he snapped at down. He was not interested. He did not show cultural respect. And, and he just, he said, you know, why should I help you with food and provisions? It was very nasty. And because he was so rude, David was offended. And David uh, that was a big insult when they had been so kind to his people, his employees, his flock protecting them. And so David was like, all right, we are gonna we're gonna pay, this guy's gonna pay for that. And we pick up with it when the servants found out that David was going to come and do harm to Nabal. And so the servants. Instead of talking to Nabal and trying to talk sense into him, they go to Abigail, his wife. Now look at verse 3. or I already read that. Look at verse 14 now. We're, We're at verse 14. And one of the young men, that's one of the servants, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. So they were kind, very considerate, But Nabal was just mean and nasty. But the men, verse 15, the men were very good unto us and we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both day and night. All the while were we we with them keeping the sheep. So they were like a security guard force. They were very kind and helpful. Now verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For now notice this this is what the servant said about their boss. For he is such a son of bilial and the, the Hebrew term that is used is a it's um what do you call it a, a metaphor it's 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 a it's a really bad character, not necessarily in the Hebrew, it's not mentioning the word devil here or Belial. It was a common saying in the Hebrew that this guy is a loser in our words today. He's so bad that a man cannot speak to him. He's unreasonable. In other words, he can't handle the truth. This guy is so hard-hearted that he can't handle even a little bit of truth, so that the servants couldn't even try to appeal to him. They just went right to his wife. And by the way, interesting story, real quick scenario. His wife then went to David, kind of behind Nabal's back, because he was such a, a fool, that he then, she then appealed to David, asked for mercy, and spared the destruction that was due to her husband. And by the way, she did not tell him until later, and it's a very interesting response that when, when Abigail eventually told Nabal what happened, it says he became a stone. And then he died like later, not right away. And it doesn't, it, there's so much, you look at that and I'm like, what does that mean? What do you mean he turned a stone? And what, there's so much to that that it doesn't say. So you, you, know, you got to use your mind, but clearly this man could not handle truth. And then when he finally did get the truth, It or the Lord killed him because he couldn't handle it. Now, I want to ask you something. Are you able to handle truth? You know, God is so gracious that the Bible, and God tells us that he gives us, there are certain self-evident truths in creation, in the way God creates us with his law in our heart. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 1 and verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, and that's an old English word, the idea of the, the, the Greek is they literally suppress, hold down the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, God has given us some revelation in there, little bit, not enough to save us, but enough to respond but if we suppress it, in fact, look at verse 20 of Romans 1.20 then talks about that. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. In other words, God gives what's called a general revelation of himself in creation. And, in, of course, in our conscience too, in our heart. But you and I have the ability to respond to that little bit of light by the way I believe when we do pro- positively he gives us more light and eventually it will give us the gospel but it only takes a little rejecting a little light to be without excuse and that's what verse 20 says so that they are without excuse. How do you respond to the revelation that God gives you? Are you someone that is so impotent that your your heart Nobody's going to, you know, you've so rejected God. What's the Bible say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's Nabal. That is Nabal. By the way, I came across an interesting story. I'm fascinated by the life of Helen Keller. What an amazing person. What an amazing story. And in, in um, one of the stories that is told uh, about Annie, Aunt Sullivan, her teacher, uh, had given Anne she could not talk as you know, she was just very limited um, in in I don't even think she could hear you remember it was just really bad and so Annie gave she would give signs like in her hand, that was the way she communicated. And in fact, only because of this one persistent lady did anybody ever break through to her and boy did she break through And so she was giving her signs, of different physical objects in her hand she you know have a different sign for everything until Annie until uh, Helen Keller got it and then one time miss Sullivan attempted to explain god by tapping out the symbols for the name of god and much to this is the way it's written much to miss Sullivan's surprise Helen spelled back thank you for telling me god's name teacher for he has touched me many times before. Isn't that interesting? She knew something of God's signature from nature, but it didn't have any word. Like she didn't have any, identif- any She couldn't identify it. Until, until Anne gave her that, this is God. And she had the concept. Here's this woman that is like totally closed off from the world. And she had within her this concept of God. So that when he was finally identified, she's like, "That's who I. That's who I. It is." Now, folks, every one of us has been given a little bit of light, but what you and I do with that light will determine whether you and I are able to be brought to the truth or not. There are some people, folks, that cannot handle the truth, even a little bit, and they're so obstinate, so hard-hearted. That they will go to their grave in defiance of God. Don't be that person. Second. First it was impotence, second is impediments. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll try, not, try to be brief. There's a couple, actually, a couple passages that address this issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2 is basically Paul says. Um, when I verse one first Corinthians three and verse one, and I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal fleshly they weren 't spiritual they were very carnal fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, and the intention is he wanted to give them more than just the milk you know like a baby's a baby 's good with milk. To a certain point, then they need to get some more substance, and, and that was them. Paul says, but I couldn't do it. In fact, he even, he even says this, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Again, the implication is, I really wanted to give you something more. Really wanted to, to feed you some of the meat of the word, but you weren't able to bear it, and you know what? You're, not, you're still not able to bear it. That is a big rebuke. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 addressed a similar thing. He said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. He's talking about Melchizedek. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That's what Paul was saying, right, in that text in 1 Corinthians 3. Sometimes we can't handle the truth because we have been impeded in our growth. Now, Paul or Peter said this to the believers. He said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So when we desire the milk, when we, when we get spoon-fed as a baby, you grow. I'll never, I will never forget one of the funnest things of being a dad with each of our kids, and you parents can relate to this, is when you first feed them solid food for the first time. I mean, it's just it's ironic. It's so funny because it looks like their expression, we, we gather. It's not really that they're repulsed by what they're just they've never tasted food and by, if you've ever seen, if you've ever fed your child for the first time, it's always like, like that, you know? Now, some of you may still eat your food like that, you know? But it's always, it, it, I remember first thinking, oh, he or she hates this stuff. Not necessarily. It's just that they're, you know, they've been, if they've been getting milk, and then all of a sudden you start introducing food it is strange to them, and they make all these weird looks and it takes them a little while to get over it, but, you know, there's some Christians like that. You know, if you started giving them a little meat, they'd be like, you know, you can't handle it. And that's not a good thing. Paul was not happy about that. Now, mind you, Paul was not compromising. In fact, Paul would say to a different group in Acts chapter 20, the, the elders in Ephesus talking about when he came and preached to them, he said, you know how we came among you? He said, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Paul said, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable unto you. And then in verse 27, he says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now he's talking to mature elders of the church in, churches in Ephesus. And he's saying, I didn't hold anything back. I remember in in Bible college, in in, uh, homiletics and sermon, sermon delivery, I remember being told, consider your audience. And I've kept that in my mind. Every Bible student, everyone that's prepared to preach, it's good counsel. Consider your audience. In other words, think about who you're ministering to. In fact, this morning, in our Bible study Sunday school hour, we were focusing on mainly evangelizing our children. And we need to consider our audience. And that's true here. And that's what Paul was doing. That's why in Paul to the Corinthians he said, and I, part of me is like, I wonder what Paul would have said if he didn't have to hold back. Paul, what is it? Can we get a couple chapters of what you would say if you didn't hold back? We'll never know. And it might be in different portions of the scripture here. But they were not ready for it. And what a tragedy that is. I wonder are you, if you're, first of all, if you're saved, if you've responded to the gospel and believed on the Lord, and you haven't responded in a hard hearted way, are you a tender hearted person that you're ready to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul? Or are you impeded in your growth because you haven't even received the milk and you you probably don't even realize it there's a conversation um, that's been recorded for us of a, a dinner party that Albert Einstein was uh, a part of so this was some years ago and during the dinner party um, a young neighbor of Albert Einstein's a young neighbor asked the white-haired scientist she said what do you actually by profession and he looked at the girl he said i devote myself to the study of physics and the girl looked at him in astonishment she said you mean to say you study physics at your age she said i finished mine a year ago <laughs> you know can you imagine saying that to albert einstein she took physics class. And, and, of course, I can relate to that, you know. Can't you, like, if you go through school and you're like, okay, did you take physics yet? Did you take chemistry? Did you take calculus? I never took calculus because I was allergic to math. But here, you know, here's this here's the, this genius of a scientist, physicist, and he says, I study phys- physics. And she has such a limit, and she's like, wow, at your age? It's like she... She didn't realize she was saying it, but she's saying, oh, I'm so much more advanced than you. You know, oh, really? But, you know, that's what ignorance will do. And if you and I are not growing in the Lord, we are going to lose that humility. We're going to start thinking of ourselves as superior to others. First thing that popped in my mind, and there's probably so many examples But there is a famous debate that took place a couple years ago that was streamed in Ken Ham and Bill Nye. And it was about creation and evolution. I don't know. How many of you saw that? Okay, a few of you did. I know that there were loads of evolutionists looking at that video, cheering on Bill Nye, the science guy, and looking at contempt at Ken Ham. I had different eyes, and I think you did too. I looked at Bill Nye as such an arrogant, condescending man who was rejecting truth. It's interesting, isn't it? As a believer, you know it's still possible as a believer that, or a professing believer that that our ability to receive truth would be hindered. Look at Israel as an example. Do you remember, in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus is speaking with, um, or the Pharisees are speaking with Jesus and they say to him, they're tricking him with a law question from the Old Testament. And they say in Matthew 19.3, they say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They're trying to trip him up. And what he said is very interesting he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh? Wherefore what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him. They weren't satisfied with that. Why did Moses then command To give a writing of divorcement to put her away. They thought they had him dead to rights on a technicality of the law. Because the law allowed them to divorce. What Jesus said is profound. In verse 8. He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered or allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. What's that saying? You see, there was a time in Israel's history where they couldn't handle the truth. They were so far from God and so hard-hearted that what God intended initially with marriage, he couldn't give it to them. And and he had to kind of slacken up because they couldn't handle the truth. Now, first of all, that tells us what a wonderful God we have. That he considers where we are but you know when i look at that i think i don't want to miss god's best because i'm too immature because i'm not where i ought to be spiritually and i don't want to miss the good things that god has last point and we'll have to be very brief on this because i have four minutes and 46 seconds left according to talaala he starts holding up signs like every second just goes down now he doesn't But um, first we had impotence, then we had impediments, and now we have improperness. In other words, when we improperly apply Scripture, and real quickly turn to Romans chapter 14. We'll wrap it up with this point, as much as I can get in here. Romans chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, verse 1, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. This describes a little bit about the scenario that the New Testament church faced with the amalgamation of the Jews and the Gentiles, two different people groups from two totally different backgrounds being put under one canopy of the church. You had all kinds of issues. And... These issues were dividing the Christian Jews from the Christian Gentiles when it should not have. And verse 3, Let not him that eateth, there were people that could not eat certain foods because of their background, not because it was right or wrong. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Here's the point, for God hath received them. See, the problem was, they weren't receiving other people. They weren't receiving one another because they had misapplied certain scriptures. And they couldn't handle the truth. Probably one of the greatest dangers of us as a believer is misinterpreting scripture and I did not even realize how much this applies to me too our upbringing and even our culture in America and I'm reminded this I've shared this a long time ago was a study that was done um the, the, in fact I think it was 2016 they added a new phrase to the dictionary and it you remember this post truth and it was that um That, uh, in fact, um, they studied in 2016. It was the study that came out with, I think 2018 was this word. They studied or analyzed 376 million Facebook users. That's mind boggling. And their interaction with over 900 news outlets. First of all, I hear that and I'm like, they're following us, (laughs) you know? And so they studied this. You might have even been part of that study and not even realized it. And they came out with the fact that people will tend to seek information that aligns with their views. So in other words, we will go to the internet. We will Google or Siri things to prove what we already believe. As opposed to seek truth. And so much so they have this new word, post-truth. In other words, there's no moral absolutes. Whatever you want to be right, it's right post-truth now you have your truth i have my truth uh god's truth doesn't budge and his truth is truth but man because that's the atmosphere wow is it hard to convince people against their will and here's that's why we need something outside of ourselves that's why we need scripture we need, and, and we need to ask God to, to not prejudice us when we read the scriptures. remember this remember the difference between exegesis and asegesis? It's so hard and don't think it isn't it's so easy for us to want to read into the scriptures what we want it to say. you know it's this whole idea that you know like we Google search something. We want to believe a certain thing, and that's exegesis, reading into. Exegesis is letting the scriptures speak for themselves. And by the way, that's the way, going back to uh, Gilda Radner's uh, character, that character that, you know, that's why you and I have to be willing for God to prove us wrong. That's why you and I have to, at certain times, we have to have those shut up moments Where we look blankly at the camera and say, never mind, you know, because we've been proven wrong. That's true. It's true for me when I got saved. And and maybe for you too when you got saved. But it shouldn't stop there. May you and I never be so stubborn, so hard-hearted that we can't handle the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us. It can be scary, Lord, when we realize how vulnerable we are. But Lord, I'm so grateful that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, if we will allow it to shine its way. And Father, I pray that you would help us to Seek the scriptures, to never be afraid of truth, to never um, be afraid of having our positions and our beliefs examined in light in the light of the Word of God. Lord, make us teachable, even especially I guess if we already think we are teachable. Father, I pray for those that cannot handle the truth. First, those that are unsaved, who, like Stephen when preaching, were so upset with him, not only could they not handle it, they had to harm him and stop him, and they eventually silenced him. But Father, your truth marches on. And now, Father, for us that are saved, I pray that you'd impress upon our minds that we need to grow. We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness We need to be students of your word, desiring the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow and then start to assimilate the meat of the word. Father, if there's anything that's hindering us, please show us so that we might continue on the path of growth. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your truth may be known. Help us to know it. Help us to walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's all take our, or no, let's.